Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of Podcast 360, your go-to resource for medical news and clinical updates. I'm your moderator, Amanda Balby, with Consultant 360. Today, my guest is Dr. Xiaoxi Yao, who is an Associate Professor of Health Services Research and an Associate Professor of Medicine at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. She's speaking with us today about her team's research, which she recently presented at the American Heart Association's Scientific Sessions 2021. Thank you for joining us today, Dr. Yao. To begin, can you give us an overview of your research and its findings? Sure. Yeah, or anticoagulation are recommended for patients with atrial fibrillation. Most patients with atrial fibrillation will need to take or anticoagulants for the rest of their lives. So we want to see how many patients are receiving guideline recommended or anticoagulations stratified by their stroke risk based on the chest vest score because the guideline recommendations are based on the chest vest. So we want to evaluate the utilization because DOEX, the direct or anticoagulants, have become available over the past decade. These new drugs are easier to use. They are fixed dose drugs, and some of them are associated with a lower risk of bleeding. So our hypothesis is that patients may be more likely to adhere to guideline recommended uh, medications these days because these drugs are more convenient to use than warfarin. But on the other hand, the new drugs are more expensive. So we are not sure. That's why we are examining the utilization rates. So what we did is we use a national administrative claims database called Optum Labs. It includes commercially insured patients and Medicare Advantage patients and Medicare fee-for-service patients. We look at patients over the past five years, and then we anchor a visit with atrial fibrillation diagnosis coded there. Because a visit is an opportunity, even the patients was not on anticoagulation, this could be an opportunity to provide or start or restart a patient. So we look at Within 90 days of that visit with the atrial fibrillation diagnosis, how many patients are on anticoagulation? So these patients could be new diagnosis, but they could be prevalent AFibs too, because they might just be a routine visit. We also exclude patients who might have other indications For example, if they have VTE or joint replacement, some of the anticoagulation could be for short-term or mechanical valve replacement in patients who underwent um, Watchman implantation because um, when they have Watchman, they might not need uh, anticoagulation in in the long-term. So the results was interesting. First, we look at how many patients fall on fall into the low risk, median risk, and high risk group. So we found 4.4% patients were in the low risk group, which is, I think, chest vest uh, zero for men and one for women, because women just get one for gender. And then the median risk is 
men with uh, chest vas 1 and women with chest vas 2. So 8% of patients fall in that group, but nearly 90%, 88% were in the high risk group. So these, the last group, according to the guidelines, should receive or anticoagulation. Specifically, most should receive a NOAC because NOAC has been recommended in preference to warfarin for most patients who are eligible for NOACs. But interestingly, still, surprisingly or not surprisingly, nearly 40% in this high-risk group did not receive any treatment, including or anticoagulants or antiplatelet, clopidogrel, um, ticagrelor, and presagrel, because aspirin is a little bit hard to capture in claims data because aspirin can be filled over the counter. So sometimes patients might not submit a claim to their insurance plan. So we might not have complete data on aspirin. 31% patients were on NOAC and 16% on warfarin. This is kind of both um, expected or unexpected because in our analysis five, six years ago, we found half of the patients did not adhere to anticoagulants. So it is a little bit discouraging to see there were little improvement over the past um, five years, but the message is more that we still need, need to figure out how we can encourage or improve the adherence to medication. So I think that's, uh, that showed the gap in the practice. It's kind of interesting data to see. Yeah, and you mentioned before that there might be some limitations to um, prescribing these uh, medications cost and availability, that sort of thing. Can you talk a little bit more about that and how th those factors might have affected the numbers? So there can be a number of reasons for non-adherence or not prescribing. For, for the prescribing part, some patients might have some bleeding risk factors, like older age, prior bleeding, or impaired kidney function. Actually, one of our prior studies shows bleeding risk factors are highly correlated with stroke risk factors. So when patients are at high risk of bleeding, they're also at high risk of stroke. And some studies have shown that patients still benefit from our anticoagulation, even they, are, they have some prior bleeding risk factors. One intervention could be improved education to providers, especially primary care providers or providers outside cardiology that these patients should receive anticoagulation. That's the provider part, but the other part is also patient because the anticoagulation could have a monthly copay for some patients, which can be substantial, especially older adults. They might have many other drugs or other medical expenditures. So even we say like 50 bucks might be a lot for them considering their other costs. Hopefully some of the drugs might become generic over the next decade. Uh, so we'll see. Overall, medication adherence for NOAX or even for statin, for statin, almost all of them have become generic, but adherence is still difficult. 
So because these drugs are used to prevent an event, so it's not like a drug you used to, for example, control your heart rhythm so patients can feel better. Sometimes patients might not know what this drug is for. They might think if I feel some symptoms, oh, that's when I take the drug, but th this is not how this works. Or they might think, oh, I take the drug for a few months, nothing happens. But that that's the point, right? That's the <laughs> prevention. So there are might be some interventions we could do for both patients and per providers, but that's a long-term task. We just need to figure out which is the best way to, to do. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think you bring, bring up some great points for both the patient and the provider. So with this new data that you just found, how can clinicians take that into practice and better patient care? I think one is just have more discussion with the patients about what are the benefits, potential risks, and costs. And then if the patients are concerned with some aspects, we could consider alternative treatment like left atrial appendage closure with watchmen if it is so difficult for patients to adhere to the medications, could we use watchman or a device to pre prevent stroke? So just more shared decision-making or discussion with the patients, because sometimes providers might think I prescribe the medications, but patients might not feel the medications. So there might be a gap there. So I think that could be something but that could be hard too. I understand some pr providers have a time pressure. They have so many other things to discuss with the patients. Absolutely. But I think that's, that's a good point as well. Um, definitely to, something to keep in mind during their, you know, 15, 20 minute visit, right? <laughs> um, okay. So then what would be the next step in this research for you? We actually have a R1 grant from NIH to look at left atrial appendage closure. So we develop an AI algorithm to identify who might benefit more from the procedure because the per procedure could be beneficial for patients at high-risk bleeding or have difficulties adhering to the medications, but they also have an upfront risk of com complication and upfront cost. So it's not for everyone. So we want to identify a subset of patients who might benefit more and send alert to their primary care providers. So their primary care providers can refer to cardiology for further assessment and discussions. So that's one of the solutions we can think of. But another line of research is just to see how we can improve the medication adherence. But that's more challenging topic, same as studying hypertension drugs, it's just like hard. Another line of research is we are trying to see whether we can diagnose more atrial fibrillation or early because atrial fibrillation could be asymptomatic. So sometimes when we diagnose AFib, is after they already had a stroke and then we diagnose AFib. So we try to see, can we diagnose AFib early and start anticoagulation early? 
we develop some AI algorithm based on sinus rhythm ECGs to detect AFib. And we also develop some AI algorithm based on trying to use like Apple Watch or other devices. So there's another line of research we are trying to do, hopefully also prevent stroke. Great. Sounds like you have your, uh, <laughs> your next couple of years yeah. <laughs> planned out. <laughs> Um, so thank you so much for speaking with me today and answering my questions. Yes, thanks, Amanda.